Welcome to Weathering Coronavirus. Today's show focuses on Italy, what went wrong. But first, it's not just the elderly. From statnews.com, millennials are not invincible after all. The new data show that up to one-fifth of infected people ages 20 to 44 have been hospitalized. That's one-fifth from 20 to 44, including 2 to 4% who required treatment in an intensive care unit. Still, most severe cases and the highest rates of death are among the elderly, but coronavirus is proving to be a little bit harsher on younger adults as well. News from Indonesia, the fourth most populous nation on earth. Indonesia halts a congregation of 9,000 Muslim pilgrims and begins quarantining them. This is from Time.com. Sintat Abu Tariq, a member of the organizing committee, said he regretted the government's decision to nix the event that has been planned for more than a year ago. He said those who are ill have been told to stay away and noted that those who arrived would have passed stringent health checks at the country's airports and seaports. The decision and the treatment is clearly against our faith and hurt us, Tariq said. Health, illness, or death is God's destiny. We believe that God will bless and protect those who are devout. I think that a gathering of 9,000 rather exceeds the gathering limits that we've been hearing about. You know, maybe 6, 8, 10, 9, 50. Various social distancing limits have been placed on jurisdictions around the globe. 9,000 Muslim pilgrims tried to meet, and Indonesia shut them down. Now on to Italy. I wanted to focus on Italy a little bit to see if we could figure out what may have happened there and if there were any lessons to be learned, you know, that could be beneficial to the rest of the world. abc.net.au points out, Italy's death toll yesterday overtook China's. There are several reasons and theories why this might be the case. One possible reason is that Wired.com points out, In Italy, 23% of the population is over age 65. Matter of fact, Italy has the second oldest population on the planet, second only to Japan. That is per the Wall Street Journal. Now compare that to the United States, where the population over 65 is only 16%. The average age of coronavirus patients who have died because of the virus in Italy is 81, according to the National Health Institute. Now that's from Time.com, quoting the National Health Institute. The average age is 81. So we're talking about a lot of people much older than 81 and a few younger than 81 to get that average of 81, but that's pretty high up there. And it may explain why Italy has suffered so much just because of their extremely old population. You can call me naive, but Italy did in the beginning what I probably would have done. The officials in Italy in the beginning, when the first few cases showed up, urged people to not worry about it, go out for an aperitif. But now, in Italy, the doctors are being forced to choose who dies. No joke. At the center of the pandemic is Bergamo, it's Italy's most infected city, which is now home to what they're calling apocalyptic scenes. Italy thought it was under control until patient one showed up. The country's first known cases were two visitors from Wuhan, China. Detected on January 29th, they were placed in isolation in a hospital in Rome, and the wheels of a national response began to grind forward. The next day, Italy was the first European state to block all flights to and from China, and the prime minister declared his country's emergency response the most rigorous in Europe. Well, if they were the most rigorous in Europe, then what happened? 
Italy now has overtaken China with the highest death toll from coronavirus. Well, it turns out the coronavirus surfaced during the flu season, and a scientist from the National Institute of Health told Time the virus had probably been circulating for quite some time before it was detected as the disease surfaced during the normal flu season. And what's being pointed out there is that the symptoms are so similar to flu that the virus could have been propagating through Italy for quite a while before it was recognized as COVID-19. Another contributing factor was mentioned by Lorenzo Cassini, who's the health director of a clinic for elderly people in Lombardy. Cassini pointed out that pollution in northern Italy could be a factor in the higher death rates. According to a report by Swiss Air Monitoring Platform, 24 of Europe's 100 most polluted cities are in Italy. Studies have shown a high correlation between mortality rates from the viral respiratory conditions and pollution. This could be a factor. It kind of makes sense. You know, we don't often think about the amount of lung damage that can be done by extreme pollution, but it certainly weakens the lungs. And then if you throw this coronavirus into that mix, the lungs are already more susceptible. And so maybe there is something there. Maybe that's another reason that Italy suffered so much. It appears clear now that the only means by which Italy might have headed off the catastrophe was the implementation of its unprecedented national lockdown far earlier, before there was even evidence of its prudence. And that's an almost impossible proposition. I mean, think about it. Italy probably would have had to have started extreme measures before they even knew that coronavirus was there. The Servicio Sanitario Nacional, Italy's answer to the UK's National Health Service, has been grossly underfunded for years, says Cassini, who runs a medical clinic for the elderly of Lombardy. He told Time there had been continuous cuts to care and to research. We were not prepared, he said. We do not have enough doctors for the people. We do not have an organized plan for pandemics. Now to add insult to injury, There is concern that the economic impact of the coronavirus in Italy will create new hardships. So in my research, looking into the Italy situation, I think that they are responding as best as they can right now. But they got overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed, before they were able to take action. As a result, they ran out of beds in their intensive care units. And doctors have literally had to choose who to take in for treatment and who to deny treatment to because there just simply was not the space nor the resources to take care of the people in Italy. That's the reason why Italy's death rate has now outpaced China's and taken the not coveted spot of the highest death count from coronavirus for any nation in the world. This is what we're trying to avoid in other countries around the world and also in the United States. And this is the reason for the social distancing that we've been talking about now. Hopefully, we're going to see much less tragic results. But send some love to Italy, people. They're hurting over there. It's a tough situation. And in my research, I don't see that they actually did anything tragically wrong. They just didn't know in time that they needed to take action. Now it's time to look at today's numbers, and I want to throw a word of caution here. 
I think that we can overlook at the numbers and much to our detriment, but we all want to know what's going on. A few corrections. Yesterday, when showing some states' numbers, the website that I'm using, worldometers.info, had some blanks, and I was hoping that those were zeros. Turns out they were not zeros. Those were blanks where they had not yet processed the numbers reported. You know, that can happen. There are lots of things that can happen that can skew our view of what these numbers mean. I don't want us to fixate on numbers, but I think we do need to address the numbers every day. So how do you look at numbers and come to wrong conclusions or look at numbers and not let them scare you? I mean, you have to think of it this way. Every case is 100% unique. And the reason I say that is that it may be the same virus, but that virus is going to interact with you differently than any other person on the planet because you are unique. You have your own RNA, your own DNA, your own genes. You also have your medical history, your current state of health, your age. You have an immune system that is either on fire or maybe an immune system that's pretty sluggish. So everybody is unique. You really can't look at the numbers and say, I have X chance of survival. It doesn't work that way. But if we look at these averages, the big numbers on average, it gives us some indication of how dangerous this, this coronavirus really is. Now, I pointed out yesterday that if you look at these numbers in light of the number of people that there are on the planet, then really we're looking at very small numbers. Even though they, they do seem threatening when we look at them because we're focused on the people that got sick. We are focused on the people who died. And so whatever we look at becomes very real to us. But if you focus on it in terms of how many people there are on the planet, then suddenly this seems like a much smaller epidemic. So today's numbers, I'm going to go over relatively quickly, and then I want to talk about how we can mess up the numbers and misinterpret them. I think that knowledge is power, like I keep saying, and truth must rule out. So I'm going to look at some of these numbers in a way that seems a little bit scary maybe, but it's not to make it scary. It's just for us to have a better understanding of what's really going on. So for starters, there were quite a few new cases that were discovered over the last 24 to 48 hours. And as I mentioned yesterday, that's because we're getting results on a lot of tests that are coming in all at once. So it makes it look like we're having huge spikes in our numbers when the reality is we just have information we didn't have before. This is not new people that got sick, it's new people that tested positive and we're finally getting enough test kits out there to test more people. So the numbers today look kinda crazy. For instance, yesterday's numbers were updated to show 4,500, and I am gonna round these numbers a little bit, but 4,500 new cases, and that was not what I reported because the numbers earlier in the morning didn't show that, but 4,500 cases in the United States. That is huge, second only to Italy, but we have to take a moment and, uh, and realize that that's because the test kits were coming in, that's because we're getting results for a large number of tests. It wasn't because that many people got sick yesterday, right? Now looking at today's numbers, and by the way, this data was reset after midnight Greenwich Mean Time. So, so far today, we have 583 new cases in the U.S. 
Well, 4,000 new cases yesterday and 500 today, well, today's not over yet. So on the international scene, um, China, again, is not reporting that many new cases, only 34. I hope that this illness is contained that well in China. It seems too good to be true to me. Time will tell when all the numbers get out what has really happened. But anyway, 34 new cases in China, if that's the way it really is, if these numbers are accurate, then that's really good news for the rest of the planet. That would mean that China really is over the hump and that they're on the downhill side of their illness curve. You know, everyone keeps talking about flattening the curve. That is so hospitals don't get overwhelmed and, and that's the reason for social distancing. But this makes it look like China has achieved that. And I don't believe it. The reason I don't believe it is because only, you know, some portions of China were infected and others haven't really seen it yet. So I would say there's a lot more that's going to go on in China. And I have to question the numbers. I don't know how well the numbers are coming out of China for us to see. But regardless, China is reporting 34 new cases. Italy, on the other hand, is reporting 5,300 new cases. And we've been talking about Italy. They're still in the throes of it. Iran, 1,000 new cases. Spain, 3,000. Germany, 3,000. The United States, 4,500. And that 4,500 is kind of shocking. I think that that really is skewed by the number of test kits and test results that we got in. So don't think of that as, oh, this is what happened this day. No, this is what happened, you know, over several days. We just now got the results. But that brings the total cases in the United States up to 13,700. And that's still a small number, you know, 13,700. Let's do the quick math. This sounds crazy, but if you divide the U.S. cases of 13,700 and you divide that by the number of people that live in the United States, which is 330 million, again, the third most populated country on Earth, then we're finding that four one-thousandths of one percent of the people in the United States currently have coronavirus. That's four one-thousandths of one percent. While the United States is doing extraordinary things to contain this virus, there aren't that many people sick yet based on the population. So real quickly, are there any other numbers of note worldwide? The only thing that really stands out is that Italy has seen 427 new deaths in the last 24 hours. And that's not really a surprise because of the number of cases that they have and the conditions that are there. But that's a rather big number compared to the rest of the world. You know, you might think listening to mainstream media that people are dying left and right. It really is not the case. Around the world, China says eight new deaths, Iran 149, Spain 193, Germany 16, the U.S. 57, France 108. It's kind of a big number. But the total new deaths in the last 24 hours just barely broke 1,000. And when you look at 1,000 deaths, it sounds like a lot of people. But compared to the population on the planet... That's a very, very small number. So I just don't want this to be blown out of proportion. So let's look directly at the United States. Drill in a little bit at this data. If I look at yesterday's data, now that, you know, the data has closed out, New York still struggling. They ended up with 2,329 new cases reported. Again, many of those are going to be because of the test kits being uh, processed. The total deaths in New York is a much better uh, number. It's only 34. New deaths reported yesterday, 14. New York is the uh, state that's struggling the most. Washington had seven deaths, new deaths, a total of 74. 
Now, Washington had really challenging times because a long-term nursing care facility got infected, and uh, their numbers were pushed up because of the age of the population that was infected there. It was a, a tragedy. So how is your state doing? I'm just going to go over some of the heavy hitters here, and uh, if I don't mention your state, it's because your state is doing better than this. And I'm going to round the numbers just because they're so much easier to hear that way. New York, 5,300, almost 54. Washington, 1,300, almost 14. California, 1,000. New Jersey, 740. Illinois, 420. Florida, 417. Louisiana, 392. Michigan is 336, Massachusetts 328, Georgia 287, Texas 284, Colorado 278, Pennsylvania 207. Now, if I didn't mention your state, it's because you have fewer than 207 cases. Matter of fact, you have fewer than 160 cases if I did not mention your state. So those are the top states as far as confirmed cases are concerned. The number of deaths, New York, only 14 you know, that number is going to go up because we're in the early days of this, but only 14. Washington, 7. California, 3. New Jersey, 4. So we're seeing a lot of low numbers as far as death rates go. Um, what's concerning about New York is the number of cases that we're seeing. So as those cases close, then, of course, the number of deaths is going to go up. I want to spend a little bit of time on the death rate. Because even though that's the most morbid side, the most challenging side of the coronavirus to hear, it's also what we need to know. It's part of the truth. Right now, if you go to worldometers.info, which is where all of this information is coming from, and you click into the United States and you look at the death rate, then it makes no sense. And there's a good reason for that. And I want to highlight that. For what it's worth, I was a math major in college, and I spent much of my career so far doing numerical analysis, so all I'm saying is I'm comfortable with numbers, and what I'm seeing on this worldometers.info, it looks shocking, but I want to help interpret that. I don't want you to go to this website and uh, misinterpret what this means. Okay, so the first thing is, if you want to know what the death rate is, you might be tempted to take the number of cases, divide that into the number of deaths. So the number of deaths divided by the number of cases will give you a percent, but it's the wrong percentage. The active cases haven't closed yet, meaning the people haven't recovered or died yet. So dividing the number of people that have died by the number of people that are still sick is useless. That number makes no sense. Then you might be tempted to say, well, let's just look at the closed cases, meaning the people that have died divided by the total number that have recovered or died. Now, this is a lot better math, and ultimately, this will give you what the death rate of the illness was, but it's too early in the life cycle of coronavirus for that to have any meaning. And think about this for a minute. The people that would have been discovered first were the people that were the sickest who needed help. And the people that were the sickest are also the most likely to die. So these numbers that we can see for closed cases in the United States right now are so skewed by this trend that they're not even worth reporting. They're, they're completely bogus. So if you go to the worldometers.info and you look at these numbers, it looks like more people are dying than are recovering. It's not true. So we're going to have to wait a while to uh, see how these numbers play out. We really need healthy people to recover and we, they need to have time to recover to add to the recovered number before this will start to make sense. And 
We won't really know the actual death rate of this illness until the crisis is over. As the crisis continues forward, the numbers will get more and more reliable. That's why you may have seen estimates of the death rate. And, you know, the World Health Organization, the CDC, different organizations have been running numbers to say, what are the estimates? And, you know, we're getting 2%, 3%, 4%, 1.5%. But these are all estimates at this point in time. It's just really just too early to know. A number that's much more telling would be the one where you take out of the 14,000 currently infected patients, how many are, are in serious or critical condition compared to those that are in mild condition. And if you do that math, you end up with about half of 1% are in serious or critical condition. But even that number is very inflated. And the reason I say so is because these are currently infected patients that we know about, right? The mild cases haven't even been discovered yet. So we don't know how many people have this illness and it feels like a cold and maybe they're practicing good social distancing and they're going to recover and they will never be counted as people that were even infected. So even in the end, once we feel like the crisis is over, we will never know how many people got sick who uh, never reported. Now, statisticians will come up with some really solid estimates. We're going to have error bars and approximations and all these sorts of statistical analyses to see how accurate their estimates might be. But the bottom line is, the numbers are still pretty small, and I would also put my own estimate out there, shooting from the hip. I'm going to say there are more people infected who haven't reported than there are people who are infected who have reported. And that's because for 80% of the population, this is a mild illness, so they're just not reporting. Obviously, if they were counted, then our denominator gets much, much larger, and then the percent of people that are in serious or critical condition uh, gets much, much smaller. So that's the good news. So what words of encouragement do we have for today? Well, I'd like to talk about social distancing and an unwanted side effect of that. Now, social distancing is a good thing. It really helps to fight the spread of COVID-19. However, it also creates a challenge for our emotional state. No one needs to be isolated during threatening times. Isolation is not good. And so the term social distancing, I think, is intended to make us know, okay, we don't want to clump together, but it can be exaggerated to the point of isolation. Do not do that. It's advisable to avoid the crowds. You know, do your part to keep us all safer. But it doesn't mean you should be isolated at all. So here's what I recommend. Call your friends on the phone. Check in on them. Don't just text. We have a, a society that loves to text, but it's not personal enough. The more personal the interaction, the better. When I say the interaction needs to be personal, I do mean from a distance, right? We have all sorts of modern technology that helps with this, which is fantastic. Pick up your phone and call people and have a conversation. Check in on them. Or better yet, use video call apps to see each other while you visit. You can actually see each other face to face, right? If none of that's available to you, even writing a letter to friends can be a real encouragement to both you and to them. Whatever you're doing to reach out to others, stay connected. Stay together. Be engaged with people around you. Because love overcomes fear. Let me say that again. Love overcomes fear. So when you feel nervous, send some love to someone you care about. 
You can do that just by closing your eyes and wishing them well. Or you can pick up that phone, you can write that letter, you can do a video call, whatever it is. Stay connected, stay plugged in, and share the love, people. It really, really helps. And this one, I think, is a big one. Practice an attitude of gratitude. Remember what you have to be grateful for, and make sure that you're being grateful for the small things. It takes a while to develop the habit of being thankful, of being grateful. But look for things to be happy about. Right now, I'm looking out of the window while I'm recording this, and I'm watching the snow fall down on the aspen trees, and it's lovely. It's beautiful. And I can hear the melting snow dripping on the roof, and that's a nice little drum beat, background music for the show. Little things like that, if we take a moment to notice and say, wow, I'm glad that I saw that beauty today, can make a huge difference in your life. Very motivating, and it can keep you out of the doldrums. So, attitude of gratitude. There are so many positive and good things that we could focus on and talk about today. So make sure you take the time to notice those things and make today the best day possible for you and for the ones you love. This is Kurt Linville, weathering coronavirus updates and hope. Today's show was produced by Caleb Linville. Everyone, be safe out there.